when I joined the ranch back in 2004, we got 20 inches of rain. That was twice as much as the average. And you know how much grass we, we grow? Not much. That really did not help us. So one of the interesting things is that ranchers still asking for more rain, but the solution is under their feet. Welcome to the 270th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Rancher Alejandro Carrillo likes to say, it's not how much rain you get, it's what you do with it. He should know. In the early 2000s, soon after he returned to his family's ranch in the Chihuahuan High Desert of northern Mexico, the area got 20 inches of rain which is double what the region gets in a typical year. One would have thought this would be a bonanza for the forage the cow-calf herd grazes on at the 30,000-acre Los Damos Ranch. In reality, all that extra rain did little good. That's because it was falling on hard, compacted soil that's been damaged by years of overgrazing. Alejandro knew something had to be done to improve the soil's capacity to make use of precipitation, no matter how much of it was falling from the sky. Again, as he says, When it rains, it doesn't rain grass. In 2006, he began studying holistic management, which was developed four decades ago by Alan Savory as a way for livestock producers and others to set and reach whole farm big picture goals and thus achieve a triple bottom line of economic, environmental, and social benefits. As a result of this training, Alejandro began implementing adaptive grazing on the ranch. This involved dramatically increasing the number of grazing paddocks on the operation and thus increasing the ability to rotate animals frequently, providing forage species plenty of time to rest and recover while adapting to changing weather and growing conditions. Over the years, Las Damas has gone from basically 12 permanent pastures to over 500 paddocks on 25,000 acres. Rather than being allowed to stay on certain patches of land until the grass is worn out, the cattle are moved as often as twice a day. This has resulted in a ranch that's come back to life. The success of Los Damas has been documented in an Understanding Ag case study, as well as in YouTube videos and the film Sacred Cow. Alejandro recently traveled to Minnesota to present at a series of Land Stewardship Project soil health workshops. As he explained to the farmers and natural resource professionals who participated in these workshops, building a healthy biome beneath the surface of his ranch has made it possible to make much more efficient use of the rain that falls on the surface. The soil on Las Damas can now infiltrate water at a rate of 18 to 20 inches per hour. A neighboring ranch has an infiltration rate of only 2 inches per hour. The grasses and other forage species in Alejandro's land are more resilient. Dung beetles and other critters are breaking down cow pies and helping feed the soil, and the cattle herd is healthier. Multiple species of grasses have emerged as a result of adaptive grazing, providing more diversity above and below the soil's surface. Las Damas now has a 550-head cow-calf herd, which is triple what the family used to be able to run on the same acres. Alejandro says the ranch now requires less labor, even though the cattle are moved twice daily. All of this means a healthier bottom line. In fact, net revenue has increased 350%. The rancher says at one time his father was considering buying more land to increase cattle production. By building soil health on their existing acres, Alejandro feels they have in a sense placed a new ranch on top of the old raising productivity without increasing land holdings. He's particularly excited that several other ranchers in the region have moved to adaptive grazing, meaning around 1 million acres in the region is being managed using regenerative livestock production systems. That's good news for the environment. 
The presence of wildlife, including migrating birds, has exploded on Las Damas in recent years, and the ranch's efficient use of water and ability to sequester carbon is important at a time when the world is struggling with the impacts of climate change. But how is this feel-good story of a ranch in the Chihuahuan Desert relevant to Midwestern farms, which can receive up to triple the amount of rain Alejandro gets in a typical year? Well, with climate change causing more and more extreme shifts in weather patterns, farms and ranches everywhere need to be able to build resiliency. Extremely dry conditions in Minnesota during 2021, for example, reminded farmers how fast things can change, considering that in previous years the region was inundated by record precipitation amounts. Alejandro's strategy of working with nature is a good lesson. His ability to experiment, observe, and respond to what he observes on the land is applicable from the high desert to the high plains and beyond. I chatted with the rancher after one of his Minnesota presentations. He started out talking about how building soil health has increased his water infiltration rates. He also described the importance of creating small laboratories on the land and using nature as a guide in researching and adapting new management techniques. At once we, we ran some uh, infiltration tests using a 6 by 6 inches ring and measuring the, the, the time and uh, going back to the NRCA's tables. And on a spot that we've been doing more intensive grazing combined with laundress periods, we were able to infiltrate, we are able to infiltrate 18 inches per hour. We don't even get those 18 inches on a full year, but at least that kind of reassures that you can infiltrate the rain that you're getting. And on another spot where there was a bare ground, compacted soil, we were able to infiltrate only two inches for rain per hour. And... Think about for a moment, Brian, like always a topic of conflict, like, okay, we're ranchers, and oh, your ranchers are taking just too much water to produce a pound or a kilo of beef. Well, yeah, but that's a really very uh, constrained view of things because, for example, in my ranch, a 30,000-acre ranch, and we see the difference between bare ground and where you have a good grasses, perennial grasses, and that's a 16-inch 16 inches difference of infiltration rate, you extrapolate that to the 20,000 acres, and then with the extra infiltration water you're getting, we could fulfill the needs of all the water needs for a 100,000 population town. That's what we're not seeing. I mean, all these ecological benefits of doing regenerative ranching, not only for our ranch, but for the community and for the county and the state and so on. People have been studying carbon sequestration on your uh, ranch. You've been looking at, explain a little bit what's going on there, that they're able to use some satellite imagery and showing that you're actually sequestering carbon, which could be, that could again have a wider community impact, a wider world impact. Uh, we've been exploring the, the, the carbon credit markets, the market, and um, we ran some satellite technology from an organization and all the differences between ranches that are under uh, plant grazing management, adaptive grazing, and the ranches are just like very conventional is huge. For example, in five ranches, we ran that test of how many tons per car you're sequestering per acre. Or ranches average about 1.8 tons per acre. On the ranches that have no management or very conventional management, like no movement of cows and so on, they're losing carbon or they're releasing carbon to the air 
or they're just uh, capturing probably 0.2 tons per acre. So it's really a huge, huge, huge difference that we need to take that into account as well. Soil health just seems to be key to everything you're doing. I mean, that must have been a real um, wake-up call for you when you, because you probably stood around a lot of times in the old days and said, well, if I could just get more rain, <laughs> everything would be fine. But you realized if I haven't built that soil health up, then it really doesn't matter how much rain I get. I'm not going to make good use of it. When I joined the ranch back in 2004, we got 20 inches of rain on a 10, point, on a 10 inches uh, area. That was twice as much as the average. And you know how much grass we, we grow? Not much. That really did not help us. So one of the interesting things is that ranchers still asking for more rain, but the solution is under their feet, creating that more photosynthesis, feeding the microbiology, and then from the ground up. Everything, that's the foundation of our operation and everything. Um, one thing you mentioned is that you're, you're not the only one down there. You just said you're kind of the squeaky wheel, the one that's willing to speak out and come all the way up here to Minnesota and talk about it. But it sounds like there's a group of ranchers down in there who are kind of, uh, and that's exciting because then you start talking about a real big chunk of land that's being managed this way. When I actually went back to the ranch after spending some years in the IT industry, mostly in the States, but other countries. I knew that I didn't want to do the conventional way because I spent all my summers as a kid on conventional ranchers and it was a good, one good year and three bad years of everything, you know, including the profitability of the ranches. They lose money three years, they kind of catch up, but that was really not sustainable. So I was very fortunate to come to a state, uh, the state of Chihuahua, where we have all-time holistic management practitioners. They were my mentors, and we keep educating. And a lot of us that started uh, taking holistic management training back in 2006, we became also trainers, so like trade trainer. So we have many people actually helping ranchers and also hundreds of ranches that I think we easily exceed more than 2 million acres ranch that is being regenerated. And that has affected not only microclimate and the range, but also working in a more bigger area where we're getting, we're noticed that we're getting more rain on those ranches. Yeah, talk a little bit more. You, you were saying that uh, you feel like maybe because the you're getting more green, more longer periods of the time over the, that that's affecting somehow the the climate in the area it's all about the green vegetation the longer we can have that green vegetation actually uh living roots along the year the better will be uh, and you know the natural cycle is first of all getting that uh rainfall infiltrating into the soil and then getting into the plant and then that plant will evapotranspirate into the sky the difference is that that water going through the plant on living soils will take some area bacteria back into the sky and that will help again condensate and rain again. So you have that natural water cycle going, which we did not know before, but now we know that that's key to have a more reliable range. And in my area, it's so just key, you know. And I know diversity is really key to you. You talk a lot about trying to mimic nature and, and go back to that diverse, almost prairie system that was originally in that region, it sounds like. We need to think that nature always strives to put skin in the soil, whether 
if we get rid of the grasses, it will throw some other plants like woody plants, you, you name it, like mesquite or juniper or uh, shoya, whatever the environment you are. Um, but, but that's really nature response to try to put some skin in the soil to protect the soil. Once you start working on these regen practices, regen, regenerative ranching uh, principles, you start growing more perennial grasses, and then nature decides at some point that those woody plants are not needed. So they will die among the grass. They will die, and you will end up with this beautiful grasslands with a few trees, maybe not, in my case, not mesquite, but other trees that can deal more with more moisture. Yes, and if you see like the normal succession of nature is, I mean, a, a good succession will be from Lincoln to bare ground or bare ground with Lincoln and then weeds and then annuals and then perennials. So all of our management is really focused on having a more diversity of perennial grasses, both warm and cool season, because even where we are at that latitude, we do have cool season grasses in our mountain range. So, and also, as you mentioned, you know, as, as, as we provide long rest periods, we give the opportunity of all the grasses to actually express themselves. Because if we were going to graze multiple times per year, we could favor some grasses, but we will end up killing other grasses that, like my tall grasses, they really need a full year at least to grow to these six, seven feet that they grow. But have you been able to increase the density of your grazing? I mean, be, as a result of this management, you're getting more cattle per per acre, that kind of thing? Definitely. I mean, we don't really do any planning as we see that we're growing more thicker, better quality forages. And then we throw the cattle there and then we say, well, it's going to be one day on that particular paddock. But at the end of the day, like the next day, you still have a lot of forage, then it's a constant adjustment. Mm -hmm. Like you adjust to the new conditions. So your management has to evolve on the new conditions that you did not have. I mean, it's like you have a one picture when you're a conventional rancher, and then that picture keeps changing. So your management needs to keep changing. And as you said, you know, having more thicker stands of grasses really forces us to make smaller paddocks to keep ourselves moving once a day. Originally, probably our density, our density could have been like 5,000 pounds per acre, and now we can reach 100,000, 200,000. But we vary the density based on the forage availability on that particular spot. So really very flexible. We never take like, oh, this is going to be the density for the whole ranch. Right. It really depends because we still have some areas with, that are very patchy. So you, you keep training your eye, you know, you keep training and... and, and and then that really gives you, uh, it's, it's really an art, Brian. If yeah. you really think about us, regenerative ranchers, we're more artists than scientists. Obviously, both play a role, but really, is, as you're very flexible, you're painting a landscape that you're going to enjoy it with some grass, a few trees. And that's what we're trying to do. I mean, to make this as beautiful as possible. So not only gives more forage to the cows, but also it's so pleasant for us to have a peace of mind. And not to get depressed when you see like, oh my God, this is a lifeless land. Yeah. I wrote it. You had a lot of great questions here. People were really interested in what you were doing. What would you tell somebody who is from Minnesota or the upper Midwest up in this area, and they're looking at what you're doing and say, hey, that's a great story. Great to hear that. 
But how does that apply, you know, what I'm doing here? I've got different conditions. I have I get more rainfall or I have different winters, different summers, different species of grasses I'm dealing with, different soils. How how would you apply that, you know, extrapolate a little bit what you're doing there, how that can be useful for other folks in other parts of the world? Yeah, I think definitely we can apply the same principles. Obviously, we have to consider the context. But if I were to, like, encourage or motivate a guy that is not in my context, I would say, you have to have your own lab. You don't really have to go to any place. So just try a good spot that you have. It could be a repairing area, a creek running across the ranch, a spring. So uh, you try a spot where you don't really have to invest much on water, which is usually the most expensive part. Put a small paddock there or a few paddocks where you don't really exceed like a week and then intensify your grazing and leave that spot for a full year rest. It will not affect you because it will be a small area. And then you will realize how animal impact combined with a long rest period responds. I got a friend in Kansas who has 40 inches precipitation. And when he went down to my ranch and he said, let me try that long rest period. The first years he tried, after a full full year of rest, he found four new plants he'd never seen before. We tried to keep ourselves aware of the new things and you know also with all this grass-fed market and all this nutritional discoveries like uh, these phytonutrients and we're excited about what's coming what's what's already here and what's coming For more information on Los Damos Ranch, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 270 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll find a link to an Understanding Ag case study on the operation, as well as links to videos that provide a first-hand look at the land's transformation. For more on other ways to build soil health profitably, see LSP's soil health page at landstewardshipproject.org backslash soil health. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.